0: Please turn to the 12th chapter of the book of Matthew. Verse 43 and 44 and 45. Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will also be with this evil generation. There are some people who believe that harmlessness is holiness, that the only requirement for being good is not being bad. And they take pride in the sin they don't commit and boast Of the harm they do not do. Jesus must have had these people in mind when he told this parable about a man who um, eliminated an evil spirit from his life. Remember, this is a parable. And he must have boasted in the evil he had overcome and felt secure in the fact that he had, um, driven out evil from his life. But the evil spirit one day came back to his house, looked in the window, saw that it had been swept clean, but was unoccupied. And so he, it went and got seven other evil spirits, each more uh, worse than, um, than it. And they all moved in. And the state of the man was worse than in the beginning. And the meaning of the parable is this. Beware lest your Christianity become a matter of majoring on negatives. Beware lest your Christianity be a matter of the things you don't do. The Pharisees were like that. And they had all these rules and regulations concerning the Sabbath, things you don't do on the Sabbath. And when Jesus violated some of them, they came down hard on him and condemned him. And Jesus' only response was, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? What Jesus was saying is this, let's work on those things that we ought to be doing. Let's focus there and let's go to work on the positive things and we'll all be better off in the end. It's so easy to make your Christianity a matter of the things you don't do. Uh, Charles Allen tells about his friend who became the pastor of a little church in Georgia when he went there the, the previous pastor was this dynamic and wonderful preacher, but he was always preaching uh, against something. And he attacked social issues one right after another and attendance began to de- diminish and decrease. And this young man came there to pastor and he first thing he did is he handed out a list of what are you going to do questions. What are you going to do to become a better Christian? Not what are you not going to do, but what are you going to do to become a better Christian? Somebody wrote, I'm going to begin a quiet time. Another said, I'm going to read through the book of Matthew. One person said, I'm going to begin to say some word of encouragement to everybody I meet as the opportunity arises. What are you going to do, secondly, to have a happier home? One said, I'm going to begin to spend more time with my children. One said, I'm going to begin family devotions. Someone said, I'm going to begin to do those things that I know my wife needs to be done and I neglect them. Yeah, I see you nudging him over there. What are you going to do to make this church a better church? One of our. One of my dear friends, a member of our church, took me out to lunch not long ago. And as we were sitting there eating our lunch, he said, he asked, what do we need to do now to make our church a better church? Tell me what you think we need to do. Well, you need to become, you know, faithful to everything that goes on here and remain faithful. Assume those responsibilities that need to be done. Begin to reach out in ministry. What are you going to do, he said, fourth question, uh, to make your community a better community. Some of them said, I'm going to begin to be involved in community life, in, in community politics, and it just went on and on. And every month he changed the what are you going to do list. At the end of the year, the church had doubled. Now, it is true that a person can want a garden. He can weed the ground and till the ground and make it as clean as the highway, but you're not going to have a garden there until you get some vegetables and some flowers growing there. And remember that the value of a rose bush is not determined by how many thorns it doesn't have, but by how many roses it does have. And so a man came to Jesus one day and asked him, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And when you look in the context and see, the person who asked the question and the reason he asked the question, you know what he was up to. He was saying in essence, Jesus, which is the most important commandment? Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, down the list. And Jesus said, no, here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God, With all your heart and soul and strength and mind, love your neighbor as yourself. In essence, Jesus was saying, no, here's what you do, not what you don't do in the Christian life. Here's what the Christian life is about. It's love that takes off in three directions. Look at the order. Sometimes the last is first. That's true in this case. Here's what you can do. Love yourself. A divine original, that's you. A special person, that is you. God has created you as a special being. There's nobody like you. You're uniquely different and wonderful. And God has a special plan for you individually. And God dreams no bad dreams for anybody. And so you need to say to yourself, I am a, a wonderful person when Christ lives in me. And I've been too hard on myself. And I've been too critical. What I want you to discover this morning is how wonderful you are and can become. It doesn't matter what has happened in the past. It doesn't matter what you failed to do or have, or, or failed uh, or have done, it doesn't matter what has happened to you. God loves you. And his thoughts of you are not that you're a colossal failure or a lost cause or a washout or a hopeless sinner. God's word to you is you're worth loving and now you need to begin to love yourself. I think that one of the things that we all grew up in was a feeling that if you had good thoughts about yourself, if you love yourself, that means that you are self-centered or boastful or proud. You shouldn't, shouldn't do that. What terrible advice. What terrible things we learned in that. To love yourself is not only the decent thing to do. It's not only the healthy thing to do. It's not only that thing that liberates you so that you can overcome negative attitudes. The reason why some of us are so negative and miserable about life is that we don't like ourselves. Not only does it free you to respect other people that you need to respect, but to love yourself is to do what Jesus told you to do. Now when Jesus told the parable of the person the persons who had five talents, and two talents, and one talent. He made sure that we understood that not everybody is born equal. We're not born equal. Some are born with great minds and others are not. Some are born with great, with healthy bodies and some are not. We're not born equally. And we don't all have the same opportunities. Some have great opportunities in life. They start out with great opportunities. And some have to work their way through life, dig their way through life. I'm going to preach the funeral of a dear and sincere and sweet man this week. Lloyd Smith, little bitty guy. Came to this country, you know, he's 87 years old, had to work his way. All he's ever had, he's labored to get. Not really successful as men measure are measured in success, not in you know brilliant man, just a humble hardworking man who's had his who has had to work for everything he's had everybody's not born equally but when jesus condemn the man who did nothing with his one talent. What he is wanting us to know is that the thing that's terribly wrong, the greatest crime you could ever commit is not to become the person you were meant to be. And God dreams you to be. And God sees that you can become. Don't miss out on that. The biggest crime you can commit is to compare yourself with other people. Don't do that. You are uniquely and wonderfully different. And somebody tells a story about a beggar who sat beside the street on the sidewalk, same place every day. And an artist went in to, to his studio every morning, passed by that beggar. One day he came out with this painting, this portrait. And he held it in front of the beggar and said, who is this? And the beggar said, I have no idea. I've never seen him before. He said, take a long look. I want you to see. See if you recognize him. See if you've ever seen him before. So the beggar looked along and he said, I can't, I I don't know who it is. I, I have no idea. Look again, he said. And when he looked again, he said, is that me? His face lit up like the sun. He said, could that be me? Is that me? And the artist said, that is you. It's exactly how I see you. That is you. And the beggar said, if that's the way you see me, that's the way I will be. I want you to look a long time into here. And I want you to discover who you are as God sees you. And how important you are, how valuable, valuable you are, how wonderful you are, uniquely blessed and, and endowed and gifted of God as a special person with a special dream of God to become that. Love yourself and others. I believe that what people need from us around us, and I'm I've, I've, I've reached this conclusion a long time ago. There are three things that other people need, our children, our families, our spouse, our acquaintances. They need our attention. They need our attention. One of the worst things you can do for another person is to ignore them. To ignore them is to say, you're of no value to me. You're not worth my time. You're not worth listening to. And it, you never get too old, I've noticed this, to need and to crave attention. And it starts, you know, when you're little. You ever watch little kids as they clamor for the attention of their, their significant others? how they long for that attention, how they need it, and how they respond positively when you notice them. And sometimes the, the uh, incorrigible actions of children is just a desire for attention. If you won't notice me when I do good, what I am me, then I'll do something negative because negative attention is better than no attention at all. Two psychiatrists went into the same building every day to work. They passed going to work, they passed coming out from work. One was young, one was old. The young psychiatrist noticed that the old psychiatrist was always in the evening fresh, and, and healthy, dynamic, you know, felt, looked like, happy. And he was just wrung out at the end of every day listening to everybody's problems. And one day he stopped the old man in the hall and he said, Every day I see at the end of the day you're just fresh and, 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 and vibrant. What is the secret? I mean, how do you stay so fresh listening to people's problems all day long? And the old man said, Who listens? <laughs> <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever felt like that the people who needed to listen to you don't? how that hurts, to to need to be heard and not be heard. And there are a lot of anecdotes that have come out of the situation, the the bombing in Oklahoma City, one of the most poignant I read about this week. It was was about a 24-year-old man whose, whose wife perished in the bombing. She was six months pregnant. And he told about their life together. They were very much in love, obviously. Devoted to each other, he lost he lost himself in that bomb explosion, and the end of that little uh, interview, this was his statement. he said, "Men always be aware of the color of your wife 's dress because if they ask you and you don't know, it hurts. You know what he was saying he's saying. Those rescue people came to me and asked, What color was your wife's dress this morning? So that when we discover her, we can identify her. And he didn't know. They need our attention, and they need our affirmation. It's letting people know that you believe they are of worth and value. It's it's taking on this feeling that everybody is of worth and value and begin to do things that express that feeling. It's understanding that that one word can have a damaging emotional effect and some little nonverbal communication can be so destructive they need our affirmation people need to be told they're important. I guess you've heard Campola's story about Teddy Stafford. He was in Miss Thompson's fifth grade class. Now Miss Thompson said that you know teachers never have pets but we all know they do. They did. I was not one of them. (laughs) He said they never admit that they have pets, but you know, they do. They have favorites, maybe not pets. And Tommy was not one of her pets. Teddy was his name, Teddy. And she said he had mussed up hair, you know, and his clothes were often dirty, and he he had a blank look on his face. He wasn't a good student. And she said, I should have known what was going on in Teddy's life. She said, I got some notes. Teddy, first grade, Teddy shows promise with his work and attitude. Poor home situation. Second grade, Teddy could do better. Mother's seriously ill. He receives little help at home. Third grade, Teddy is a good boy, but too serious. He's a slow learner. His mother died this year. Fourth grade, Teddy's very slow but well behaved. His father shows no interest. Now he's in the fifth grade Mrs. Thompson's class. And it's Christmas time. Everybody's giving the teachers their presents. Teddy brings a present in a paper sack. And all the kids laughed, chuckled. That horrible looking present. And when Miss Thompson opened the sack, it had some... Old perfume, cheap perfume, stunk. I mean, it was like terrible. And an old bracelet, that rhinestone bracelet, had some of the stones missing out of it. She was smart enough. So she took some of the perfume and she rubbed it on her arm and she said, Oh, doesn't that smell great? And she held her arm around to the kids and they caught on that she's bragging on Teddy. And she put on the bracelet. And so when the kids left, Teddy hung around for a while until they were all gone then he went up to the teacher he said Miss Thompson you smell just like my mother and I'm so glad you liked her bracelet and when he went out of the room she got down on her knees and asked God to forgive her for being one of those teachers that imparts information but no affirmation when the kids came back from, from Christmas vacation they met a new teacher one that affirmed and loved them she lost contact with Teddy until one day she got a note that said, "Miss Thompson, I graduated second in my class. I wanted you to be the first to know. Four years later, she got another note that said, "Miss Thompson, I graduated first in my class. The university's been tough, but I loved it. Four years later, she got another letter that said, Dear Ms. Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stafford. MD. How about that? I wanted you to know, first to know that I'm excited that I'm getting married next month, 27 to be exact. I want you to come and sit in the place where my mother would sit. My dad died this year and you're the only family I've got. You know what made that little boy into that top student in his class? Let me tell you what happened there. A woman affirmed Him. They need our affirmation. They need our appreciation. William James, the father of modern psychology said that the deepest principle of human nature is the craving to be appreciated. And there's this little Peanuts cartoon. There's Charlie Brown and there's Patty, this cute little girl, saying to him, Charlie Brown, you're the nicest person I've ever met. You're just great. Next frame, he's saying, well, thank you, Patty. That sure is kind of you to say. The next frame, she says, oh, don't mention it. It's the least I could say. And the next frame, she's not in the picture and he's shouting, I just wish for the one time I could hear not the least, you could say. Don't you know there's some people just screaming, I just wish one time you would tell me thank you. I need to do that today. Now I'm an emotional person. I'm fighting it now, but I need to tell you how much you folks have meant to me. And I don't think you will ever know that when I moved to this town, I wasn't a happy person. And you literally have helped save my life, my ministry. And I need to tell you of that appreciation. They need to know that we appreciate them. One last thought, please. That love moves in a vertical direction. And it is, it, is a, it is a love that goes out to God. Now, I'm not sure all that that, that means, and I'm not even, I know I can't, can't verbalize it, but I, I think it means this I think it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart. I think it means that there is a recognition that Jesus Christ, God's revelation in flesh, the one through whom we come to know God, that Jesus Christ brings significance to our lives. That when a person comes to know Jesus Christ, that hole in his heart is filled. And that need, that, that emptiness, is, is satisfied, fulfilled, that Jesus Christ gives significance to his life. And to love him with all one's heart and soul means that he surrenders to Jesus Christ all that he is and all that he's done. He gives that to God and he worships him. And somebody said that worship is our response to who and what God is, corporately and privately. And it expresses itself in and by the life we live and the things we do and the things we say so that a person who loves the Lord with all of his heart just responds to the love of God with his life, with what he does and what he says. And so Charles Allen tells that his daddy, when he was a little boy, way back at the turn of the century, times were rough, grew up in the Ohio Valley. And one day, it Christmas time, his dad was going to Cleveland. He asked, He told Charles Allen's father, you can go with me. So they hitched up the wagon and headed off to Cleveland. As they got toward town, his daddy reached into his pocket and gave The boy a dime and told him he could buy anything he wanted. He said, I saw oranges for the first time and I wondered what an orange tasted like. He said, I saw a red tablecloth with a constitution on it, thought about buying that. He said, I saw striped candy and toys. He said, I could have spent a peck of dimes for the things I wanted but he made his selection and they wrapped it up in, a, in paper and he put it under his arm and he got in his wagon and headed home. On the way home, he handed it to his dad and he said, Dad, I bought you a present. And he says, Daddy opened up that, that paper and there was a big red bandana handkerchief. I said the boy, now a man. I don't think there was anything that I could have ever bought that would have brought me, bought me more joy than giving back to my father the gift he had given me. Hear me now. There are a lot of ways that you can live your little life But there is no way you can live your little life that brings more joy and more happiness than in giving that little life back to the Father who gave it to you. And when you give your life back to the one who gave it to you, you begin to see other people as you've never seen them before and you begin to see yourself as this valued person I cannot tell you how many people I talk to who want to know they're significant you are and the way that significance is discovered is giving your life back to him What are you going to do? Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you that that we are loved and accepted, that we're of worth because we're created in your image. We have your Son who lives within us. Help us to focus, Father, upon the person you meant us to be and to become that person best like your son. Here's our little life, Father. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Now, I don't know what invitations, that how you feel this morning about what you should do, But I want to give you an opportunity to let God lead you in the decision, perhaps public decision, you need to make. Some of you may want to come and say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Give my life away to Him. I've never never been saved. I don't know what it means to have Jesus in my heart. But I want to know that. I want to discover that or I want to give myself away to the ministry of this church, or the rededication of one's life. Whatever God leads you to do, while we stand to sing, we invite you to come.